The exiled Jews had now been back in the land of Judah for about 80 years. I trust that you still remember the earlier messages and what the book of Ezra is all about. But just to remind you now, these Jews are back in the land of Israel again, and they have been there for 80 years. The temple has been rebuilt nearly 60 years before the time of Ezra chapter 7, just to give you some idea of the time factor. And during the early part of their return to the land of Israel, there had been very important advances. Uh, there had been victories won and challenges overcome. But though the Jews had experienced a time of spiritual reviving more than 50 years earlier, there was a great need for a fresh visitation. And we can look back to times of refreshment in the past, times of blessing, when God has come and blessed our hearts and uh, manifested his grace. But maybe tonight we're here in the house of God and the need is a fresh visitation of the Lord. I feel that is my need, and I'm sure if you were perfectly honest about the thing, you would confess with me that is exactly what I need. And in order to do this, God raised up a man, an ordinary man. His name is called Ezra. And last time I talked about two things, about Ezra, his ancestry, and then his ability. He was an able scribe of the law of God. One or two things I want to highlight tonight about him. The third thing is Ezra's appearance. I'm not talking the way he dressed. I'm not talking about his hairstyle. I'm not talking about his good looks or whether he wasn't a good-looking person. His appearance in Scripture. At long last, Ezra suddenly appears. God's man suddenly appears. And as I thought about that, I thought about our own situation here in Korean. God had a man to do this work in Israel. God has a man to do his work in Korean. And as Ezra appeared suddenly, let us pray that God will suddenly bring to our attention a man to do a work here in this part of the Lord's vineyard. He's introduced in verse 1 suddenly, without any introduction. His name is mentioned Ezra. And then in verse 6, we're told that Ezra went up from Babylon to Jerusalem, of course. He was the leader of a fresh batch of immigrant Jews. Now, on the first return, just under 50,000 Jews took up the opportunity given to them by the King Cyrus to return to the land of Israel. Now, on this occasion, it was just about 1,500, 1,700. Some commentators say a little bit more, uh, maybe 2,000. I don't know for sure, but we're talking about a smaller number, 1,500, 17, or 2,000. The focus now moves from the events in Persia. Remember I said before, between chapter 6 and 7, there's a period of years, and in that particular gap, you have the book of Esther. And the focus is upon the Persian kingdom and the plot of Haman to annihilate the Jews 
in the Persian provinces. So we're past that now. The book of Esther covers a period of about 10 years. So events now, uh, the events of what happened in Jerusalem are before us tonight in God's word. It was a very dangerous and grueling journey for the people to take, 900, uh, maybe even 1,000 miles. And they were transporting very, a very valuable cargo because uh, verses 15, 16, and 18, silver and gold are mentioned. Now, the hearts of men have never really changed. If you get a convoy of people traveling with silver and gold, people are going to hear about it. And they may want to take things into their own hands. They may want to attack this group of uh, God's people and take away the silver and the gold. Remember Luke chapter 10. The man fell among thieves. He was beaten to the ground, stripped, and everything that they had what was taken away. So they were transporting valuable cargo. Bandits were there, no doubt. Long distance. But God kept them safe. That's the amazing thing. God kept them safe. Now, we too are on a journey. We're on a journey from the Babylon of this world to the Jerusalem above. And we have a valuable cargo with us. It's the gospel. And we know that the gospel has many enemies who hate the gospel and hate us because of the gospel. That's the truth of the matter. That's the way it is. Some things just never change. So we've got this glorious gospel to preach. We're surrounded by many enemies on every hand. But as God kept Ezra and that group of individuals safe, we can depend upon God to keep us safe as well. Some of you may have read the story of John Patton, who was a missionary uh, to the New, New, Hebrew New Hebrides Islands. Get it right. One night, a hostile group of natives surrounded the mission station, intent on burning the mission station and killing the patents. Now, the patents bowed in the station and they prayed that God would come and protect them and deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed and full of praise to God when they saw the natives moving away from the mission station. They were amazed. A year later, the chief of that tribe was converted to Christ. Remembering what had happened on that particular occasion, Patton asked the chief what had kept them from burning down the house and killing them. This is a true story, a missionary story. And the chief replied, who were all those men with you that night? Now, Patton knew no men were with him on that night, but the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. What was happening? The enemy was attacking the gospel and the missionaries of the gospel, but what was God doing? God was protecting them. God was keeping them safe. It's good to know that we're kept safe in the hands of God. The everlasting arms are underneath us. And he will never fail. He cannot fail because he's God. He's our God. He's with us. He knows every burden and every care. And he can keep us just the way he kept Ezra and these people. 
Now, presumably, Zerubbabel, the governor, and uh, Joshua, the high priest, were now dead. And they are not mentioned in the final chapters of Ezra. So he could not depend on their support when he arrived at this destination. He therefore was all alone. All alone. But the Bible does emphasize that everything that happened in his life was because the good hand of God was upon him. That's the thing, the all-important thing. If we have the good hand of God upon us, come what may, we will be preserved by God's matchless grace and kept. Maybe you're under attack as a believer. You hardly know which way to turn. But remember this, the God of Ezra is our God. And when you have that good hand of God resting upon you, you have nothing to fear. We can trust him with everything. You've trusted him with your soul. You can trust him with your finance, with your family, with your home, with everything that you have, because we can depend on him. He's a dependable God. Zerubbabel, he was a prince. Yeshua was a high priest. And Ezra was a scribe. Luke wrote two books in the New Testament, the Gospel and the Book of Acts. What does that say to you about him? He wasn't a preacher. He was a writer. All men uh, that we meet with in the Bible were not always preachers. This man was a writer. He was a doctor as well, by the way. He used his talent for the glory of God. Different men are raised up at different times to do a work for God. We can apply this to Corian as well. There's a man there and his own good time will come to this congregation. We've got to pray much about it this week. It's got to be first in the list of prayer when we come to seek these things. There are many things to pray about, but this is a very important issue. We need to get before God. We need to be in the place of prayer as often as we can and pray to the God of heaven that God will send his man. Oh, we want God's man. He may not be called Ezra. He may not be called Roger. He may be called something else. Something, oh, we need a young man, something, we need a mature man. Let's get God's man. That's the best place to look. God's man, heaven. God knows what the needs are here in the congregation. And these people, as they traveled along, they had this comforting thought. I mentioned this before, but I mentioned it again. The name Ezra means helper. So as these 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 pilgrims were on their journey, they had this consolation that the hand of God was upon this man, Ezra, and his name means helper. And as we travel through this life, this dangerous pathway of life, thank God we have the helper with us, the Holy Spirit, the love gift of God through Christ to his church, one traveling with us, along the pathway of life. So almost 60 years between the completion of the temple and the visit of Ezra, 60 years? The temple is completed. We've got to wait for 60 years. They were waiting for the right man, you see. Ah, we need to wait for the right man. Let's not get impatient. I said last night, I've had 45 or thereabouts preachers plus licentious, maybe 50 people. 
Surely among all that great number, there's someone for here. We've got to wait for the right man. So these people were waiting for God to come and visit them there in the land of Judah and Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Judah had been repossessed. The temple had been built by the exiles in the days of Zerubbabel and King Cyrus. The scene is now set for Ezra to begin the work he'd been sent to do. Now, let me just emphasize this. The task of Zerubbabel was to build the house of God. Way back in chapter 1, verse 3, Cyrus the king said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and build the house of God. All right? The task of Ezra, according to verse 27, was to beautify the house of God. And think about the house of God in his day, a literal temple. We think about the spiritual temple, the house of God, the body of Christ. And the Lord wants to beautify his church by creating holiness in his church. That there might ascend from the church of God the sweet incense of prayer and praise. So one was to build the church. Ezra was to beautify the church. And God, of course, what was his role? If I can use that expression of God. What was he to do? Well, he was to bless the church of God. This church has been going for many years now. Men built this church under the hand of God. God has come at different times and sent times of refreshment. Oh, that God would bless us people with his mighty power. Same for this spiritual house. It's made up of the souls of men and women. Christ is the foundation. And the Holy Spirit is building on the foundation this beautiful edifice to manifest the holiness of Christ to bring praise and glory to our great King. God is blessing his church. Oh, that we might experience that blessing this week. Now, I, have more, I could say more about this. You could look at the dates that are mentioned here and you will discover that it took this group four months to travel from Babylon to Jerusalem. So it was a long, arduous, treacherous journey. 900, 1,000 miles, four months. And God kept them all the way. God never loses anyone along the pilgrimage of life. Never. All that belong to him are, and who are truly his, not one of them will be lost. He never lost one. So we're going to move on, getting carried away here a wee bit, but we come to the fourth point, Ezra's authority. If you look there at verse 11, there's the introduction of a letter. The first part has to do with a genealogy. It's a genealogy. And then the last two verses would be a doxology. But in between, sandwiched in between, you have verses 11 through 26, and it is a letter of authority given to Ezra by Artaxerxes the king. Now this is interesting again. We can see in this whole uh, book of, uh, of Ezra how God used ungodly individuals. Cyrus was an ungodly man. I've mentioned this many times before. Uh, he was described as God's anointed, my shepherd, an ungodly man. He wasn't converted. 
to use a modern expression. He wasn't saved. Yet God used him and used his money and used his authority. And then there's Dyrus as well. He contributed generously to the return of the early exiles as well. And now Artaxerxes, he does the same thing. Ungodly rulers are used to further God's cause. Maybe we should pray tonight as we focus on other things, pray for this, that God would move upon the authorities, the politicians, the MPs, that God would move upon their hearts and may God be pleased to use some of them to advance his cause and righteousness and truth. If we get behind these politicians and pray down the fire of God upon them, May God terrorize them into doing his will. He always makes them willing in the day of his power. When he takes control, this is what God can do. Our faith may be limited, but only God can help us at this time. The laws that have been implemented in the past and brought in and have been still to be brought in, we need God to come and deliver us. And... This man was appointed. He was given the, the letter. He had the authority. He was given an expense account. Here we see this, the ungodly giving the preacher an expense account. Praise be the name of the Lord. Some of us free Presbyterians ministers wished uh, that that would happen <laughs> in their own experience. Joking, of course. This is what God did, you see. I'm, I'm showing the power of God. And he became the secretary of state for Jewish affairs in Judah. That's really what it amounts to. God saw to it and brought this man out of the blue. Suddenly appears on the scene. And then he does this great work for God. The letter authorized him to do great things and to allow anyone who wanted to travel to go along with him and to bring spiritual renewal to the people in the land of Israel. The letter dated with two matters. You can look at it for yourself. Uh, a grant towards the cost of sacrifices. Yeah, the sacrifices and the worship of God. The ungodly are paying for the sacrifices. God's in the whole thing, you see. God's behind the scenes here working, manifesting his power and his majesty and glory, bringing it to pass. Who would have thought this would have happened? But God's at work here in this book. And there was the silver and the gold, and then there was the provision of temple vessels in verse 19. Maybe some of the vessels that had not been returned before, maybe they're all getting back now to the land of Israel. And then there was an order to the provincial treasurers empowering uh, Ezra to claim certain extra supplies. Our God's a liberal God. When he begins to move, I'll tell you something, it will really surprise you what God can do when you see him at work. Maybe we need encouragements. Maybe we need to be proving God in these times, asking for what seems to us to be impossible things. Maybe we just need to lay hold upon him and step out by faith and say, Lord, give us these things. The final paragraph, the king trusted him so much that he trusted Ezra to set up the judicial system with full powers of punishment and also to make sure that the people in the land were not ignorant of the law. The king trusted Ezra. A king, an ungodly king, trusted a man of God. He prepared 
to make him responsible not only for the divine law, but the civil law as well. Uh, we would need to get some believers in positions of power regarding the laws of our land. But God did it here, you see. And we have the Bible to govern us when we come to pray. And if God did it then, can he not do it again? The people had sinned. They had suffered 70 years in Babylon for their sins. But they're back. They're getting back to God. They've got the temple up. Sacrifices are going there again. And here's this man sent of God to beautify the temple, to teach the people the law of God. So Ezra's task was to establish order and religious worship in the land. And listen, you will see how Artaxerxes describes himself in verse 12. I, I thought about this, and I'm going to apply it to another king of kings. Artaxerxes describes himself as the king of kings. He was the one who sent Ezra on this task. He was the one who supplied Ezra for this task. The one who called himself the king of kings. Now, we're familiar with that term, aren't we? The Lord Jesus Christ, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, has sent us, his church, on a mission to evangelize. And he has promised to supply all of the needs as we go forward, the needs for the Sunday school work, the needs for the children's work, the needs for the regular services on the Lord's Day for outreach, evangelism, open-air witness. He has given us the command to go, and he always supplies the needs the people. We need people. Sometimes we need finances. Well, we can see how God provided the finances. God is no man's debtor. I've been in the ministry for 40 years. And the Lord has never failed me once. There's a time I had little money. And I was due to pay for my car insurance. I didn't have it. I got a telephone call one evening when I lived in a huckle. I was a student at the time. I looked at the phone and this woman said to me, what is your address? Now, to get a call like that nowadays, you wouldn't probably give your address. You would think of some kind of scam. But it's, it was a, a genuine call, I felt. So I, I gave my address. And she just set the phone down. Oh, two or three days later, the letter came. I opened it. It was exactly the amount of money I needed for my car insurance. From a wee woman down in the mountains around Kilkeda. And we got to know that family very, very well. She had a lot of suffering and pain in her life. But a giant of a woman of God. And uh, we went down every year uh, to see her. Summertime. We still kept friendly with the family to this day. When she died, the family insisted that I take part in the funeral. She made my day. She made our day. Just at that time, how God came and proved himself to us. I have called you to this work. The work was difficult for me. I, I'm not bright. It took me a long time to get into college. And then I thought I would never get out of the place. But that was tough going. Over 62 exams in four years. 
in a time I pulled the hair out of my head. I'm surprised I still have hair in my head, but that's the way it is. But God, in, in different ways, came and He provided. Another thing, I better get, oh, it's time to finish, but another thing. Uh, I didn't have a great car when I went into college. And uh, one day something happened, I put my foot through the floor of it, you know, and I couldn't afford anything. And uh, I had to stay down in, uh, outside Tandragee. A family put me up there. It saved me having to pay the fees. They, they, they took care of me for two years. And uh, they were very good friends. One night, after a hard day at the office, hard day at college, I was just uh, taking it easy. Anne called me. She said, you'll never believe what I'm going to tell you. There are people in Bellamina and they bought you a new car. Oh, I didn't feel tired anymore. I got into the car and I drove all the way up to Bellamina. And there, I never had a new car in my life. But there was a new car. It was just near the time we came to our first, our second exams in the month of June. And I want to tell you something. That was a miracle. And that gave me a lift, a lift to get into my exams. And so for 40 years, God has been providing the need. And I give God the glory to encourage you to keep on praying because God is very much alive. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And he sends us and he supplies for us. And that helped me a lot. So we're traveling as pilgrims along the path of life he sends us and he supplies and we are serving the great king of kings praise be the name of the lord and then there's ezra's acknowledgement i'm not going to speak anymore i don't intend to say those two or three things but uh, as we come to the end of the chapter 27 and 28 he says blessed be the lord god of our fathers now when you think of that phrase the lord god of our fathers and the opening few verses in the genealogy, proving that he was a priest, there are 16 generations mentioned there. And that covers a period of about a thousand years. And that's why he's talking here, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers. He traces a way back to Aaron, the first high priest. And so we can see a man who was a priest by birth, Related to the first high priest, I mentioned this last week, we're priests in the family of God. We're in the family of God through birth. We're related to the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we are in him. And when he appears before the Father as the great high priest, we appear before the Father in Christ and receive all of the benefits that come to us through the work of Christ on the cross. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And now he bursts forth with this doxology. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers. The God who worked in the heart of the king. The Lord who created the political situation in the land to allow the king to send Ezra home. And the protection all the way home. And all the finances, the silver and the gold and everything else needed. Praise be the Lord, he's saying. So there's a, there's a genealogy. He's a priest in the family 
and he comes to the end and he's thanking God that he is a priest in the family. He's redeemed. He's a child of God. He's engaged in the business of serving the king, doing the work of the Lord. And the word favor that is used there in those verses uh, is translated or can be translated a steadfast love. And the Hebrew word is actually related to the Old Testament word for stork, a bird known for its affection and devotion to its young. And he's giving God thanks for the favor God has bestowed, for that steadfast love, the love that God had for his people in communion with him through faith. And Ezra's final words, I was strengthened or I took courage, indicates he derived a strength from God himself. His heart is filled with gratitude. I close with an illustration. On his great retreat from Greece after a great military expedition, uh, a well-known Persian king boarded a ship along with a number of his Persian troops. But a storm came, and the captain told the king there was no hope unless the ship's load was substantially lightened. The king turned to his fellow Persians on deck and said, it is on you that my safety depends. Now let some of you show your regard for your king. Quite a number of the men actually jumped overboard. They bowed down to the king, they jumped overboard. And as a result of that, the vessel was substantially lightened. Lightened of its load now, it made its way safely to the harbour. And the king immediately ordered that a golden crown be given to the pilot for preserving the king's life. Then ordered the man beheaded for causing the loss of so many Persian lives. Gratitude. Oh, that's a joke. Oh, we give God all of the glory for who he is, what he has done for us. We mean what we say. We love him tonight because of redeeming grace. And our God is still the same. So we have a profile of this man that God used. Suddenly appeared in the scene. They waited for a long time for him to come. But when he did come, what a job he did. Hallelujah. What a job he did. So let's pray with expecting hearts. Pray for an Ezra to come. A man, a ready scribe in the word of God, a man of prayer, a man who knows how to lay hold upon God. Well, we better get down. It was a real good time last night. A number of people prayed, short, to the point. Let's get down again as we seek the Lord's face. Well, our brother David Gibson would uh, lead us now in prayer.